Hello, everyone. This is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of importance for you and your family. Today, we are going to catch up on Washoe County School District issues with my guest, Dr. Angie Taylor, President of the Washoe County School District Board of Trustees. Welcome back, Dr. Taylor. So glad to have you. Uh, it's good to be here, Sherry. Thank you so much for the invitation. Oh, well, it's a pleasure. And and I just love the fact that we, we get to talk about so many topics is that we get the opportunity to be able to share the facts with people instead of just what everybody's talking about. But let's start about the last school year. You know, it's almost over. What uh-huh. will you remember the most about last year's successes and challenges, Dr. Taylor? It certainly was a year with both of them. Oh, man, it certainly were plenty of both of them. I want to start with the successes because I think it's really important to really, um, you know, as we say at church, give people their flowers while they can really enjoy them. I mean, the, the people in the buildings, the, the teachers, the administrators, the, the, um, the, the maintenance worker, even the bus drivers, I mean, the staff really for the Washington County School District did an amazing job in some unimaginable um uh, situation and circumstances, unprecedented, all the words you can use, right, uh, unprecedented, unknown, unexpected, all mm-hmm. of those words. Um, we were one of the largest districts, um, one of the few large urban districts, and we're one of the largest districts in the nation, you know that, and we're one of mm-hmm. the few large urban districts um, that had in-person instruction all year long, um, and that wow. is something I am incredibly, yeah, exactly, I'm incredibly, incredibly proud um, of that, and as much as it wasn't all that everybody wanted, of course, we would rather have had full-time in-person instruction for all of our students and teachers all year long. It's just it was just so difficult to manage um, everything that needed to be managed, you know, in a safe way, in a productive way, um, and make it happen with so many people. I mean, we have over a hundred school buildings. I mean, that's a lot to have to get your mm-hmm. arms around and manage. Um, but they did. But but they did it, so I, I really could not be more proud of the people who got it done, quite honestly. It is amazing I mean, I to think back, Dr. Taylor, and think back about what has been accomplished in this last year of so much chaos. I, I'm so glad that you're articulating that because most of us don't understand the magnitude of what it takes to make a school district function. I mean, it's it's huge. I mean, you think of things, Sherry. Like, I mean, first of all, there were six. We were, we were sixty-four thousand going into the school year, sixty-four thousand students, um, eight thousand employees, and uh, hundreds of thousands of families, uh, family members, I should say, that were impacted by every decision that we made. Um, you know, someone being sick or having an exposure or or anything like that, right, and managing that with education and keeping people safe and keeping teachers safe and, and people legitimately feeling unsafe and, and people mm-hmm. with, with, with ADA exceptions because their, their health was at risk and how do you manage with teachers stay home or do distance or whatever. I mean, just when you think about it, um, it's just phenomenal that we have had mm-hmm. in-person instruction all year long. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm most proud of. That's the biggest success is that we were, we were there and we did it. Um, and, uh, the challenges, of course, there were many, there were many of those, I guess the largest challenge, um, I would think was just, was really getting into a, um, finding, finding, finding your, um, finding your rhythm, right? Finding your flow for, uh, a distance learning opportunity for students that were either hybrid 
or distance? And how do you, you know, um, give a student an opportunity that may not have a device, that may not have connectivity, that may not have someone at home that can help them, and even those who did have someone at home that could help them, who could help them, or can, or connectivity or device, but then keeping them engaged and 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 really with a robust learning opportunity. I mean, that's something that we're always going to look back in my mind and say, man, we could have done better. And it took us a while to find our find our rhythm, really to find our flow um, in that. And then we finally got to it, so it was better. But there's still students that just really struggle with with uh, with distance, really struggle with distance. And um, and now it's how do we get those those students back involved and back in school and and all of that. But that was. You know, you look back, if you have time to really plan that out and really test out everything or, you know, some of the curriculum choices that we made, we used a curriculum that was really made more for uh, credit recovery than it was for the, you do this for the school year, but we're in this and we have the school year. So then you plan it and you get, you know, when you have the time and when you know what's going to happen, you can just do a better job at it. Right. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. We had a hybrid model for middle and high schoolers. How has that worked? And what has been the learning loss um, from the pandemic for our children? You know, it's, we, we know that there's, there, there's some recovery is absolutely necessary. Um, it's just us in every district across the country, every call that I'm on with other school board presidents um, and other school board members across the country, um, you know that. I mean, that's the biggest thing on your mind is how do you begin to even help with some of this recovery students, right? I mean, there were some students that actually did, did, did well with hybrid. You know, being home one day, uh, being at school one day, um, maybe give them a chance to do some, you know, maybe get work in, get a work schedule that's better than maybe if they had to work at night and weekends all the time, or to help with family. I mean, there's some families now that um, reached out when we were, have been the last couple of times when we made decisions around learning models if there's a shift and do we continue with hybrid. Some families reached out and said, I want to stay on hybrid. This works for my family. Mm-hmm. Some students worked us. They mm-hmm. reached out and said, this works for me. So there were some students that, you know, did we did well with them, but then we, we also know that there were some that really struggled. And those days not being in school, um, you know, can, can really take a toll as, as, as well. So did it work or did it not work? I'm going to say Yes, because <laughs> it did all. Yeah, yeah, didn't work for everyone. And what about and and you mentioned that you're on calls with other uh, school board presidents. What are they saying also about the learning loss? Oh no, yeah. you're, you're, no, you're right. I mean, because let's 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 face it, Sherry. There's still some students as hard as we try. As far as I know, um, I've been in schools visiting, talking to principals and teachers and counselors and so on. Because you know that's part of what we do, and that's quite frankly the best part of my job. Um, and there's still some students, man, I just haven't quite, I can't really keep in contact with that student. There's still some mm-hmm. some, some students with, you know, difficult family situations and, and so on. And we forget we have homeless students that are in our midst as well and those with custody issues. And just family, just regular family stuff, right, um, mm-hmm. that is much larger in a pandemic situation. Um, you know, so they're, they're, we know that there's some students, as hard as everyone's tried, that really haven't gotten a role bust educational opportunities for over a year now. Mm-hmm. Right. That's it. How can there not be the need for recovery? I mean, there certainly has to be. And, and that's why, and, every, and everyone across the country, this is what we talk about. This is why summer school is so big for everybody across the country. This is why the additional um, monies that, that, that we've gotten from the, 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 the Biden administration as they came in in this last package to help 
put a lot in for summer school because it, it's mm-hmm. recognizing the need um, to do some things as much as we can to either continue the learning for some students who have done well. They, it's enrichment for them. It's continuing the learning. It's, go, it's getting ahead, and that's good too. Um, I do believe that, that the majority of it will be for those that have some ground to make up. Um, I think it's a great opportunity for students, for families. Let's say if a family decided for their family, um, they don't want their child back in school. And many families make that decision, and we absolutely respect that. Um, um, so maybe this is, hey, this is a chance to kind of get them back on campus without all of the students there, right, with a smaller number of students and smaller exposure opportunities and smaller class sizes. And as more people get vaccinated, maybe it's a little safer. It's a, it's a kind of a smaller, shorter baby step, hopefully mm-hmm. working ourselves towards the fall when we'll be open without uh, mitigation, hopefully. But, you know, who knows? It's a lot of time between now and then. We don't know what will happen with that yet. Yeah. So, Dr. Taylor, my understanding is that uh, you work very, very hard with the child who, due to whatever circumstance, hasn't been able to keep up in the school year, and that really your goal is recovery, not to retain them for another school year in that same grade. Uh, Let's talk about that recovery. That's the goal, right? That absolutely is the goal. I mean, it's so difficult, you know, for a child who was in that position. I mean, this is not their fault, (laughs) right? Um, if they if they didn't have the right accessibility as much as we tried at home, that was not their fault. Um, any of that stuff, right? So, um, right. So, you know, so really, what we're looking, what we're hoping to do, really is, you know, there's testing that happens, right? And and I don't I don't like a whole lot of testing, although I do understand that there's a place for it. Um, and, and the state gave us um, some flexibility this year, um, which I'm I appreciate because it's real tough on on students and even and teachers in schools this year. But the testing that, that they were able to do is going to really be helpful. It's going to help us get a gauge for where our students, um, who you know, who have stayed up, you know, who have fallen more behind. And then, then, then what can we do giving, giving them some targeted help over the summer? Um, because, you know, we're hoping that about 25% of our enrollment will, will, um, will, will get into summer school. It's three, you know, three days a week uh, for four weeks. Um, it's four or five hours a day where you're getting breakfast and lunch. I mean, it's um, – it's a pretty, it's a pretty robust, more of a robust summer school program than we've ever had. Really, then you can give them targeted help. How can I help this kid who missed this or that or this or that? So the whole idea is um, to, to prop them up, right? To prop them up more, more than hold them back. Yeah. Well, that sounds fabulous. Yeah, I understand your summer school is very robust. Breakfast, lunch. There's transportation if you need it. Um, mm-hmm. Even online mm-hmm. if you need it. And the focus, as you said, is on credit recovery. And there's also a social-emotional piece to the summer school. Can you talk about what that would entail? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think this is going to be, as, as you know, that, that thing here, this is not just not your grandfather's summer school. This is not your grandfather's summer school here. <laughs> this is completely different. This is, if, if there's transportation, um, it will be at every school, um, except for there are a handful of schools, I want to say about 20 or so, that because the summertime is when we do the, you know, capital improvements, you know, roofing, HVAC systems, the big jobs, right? Um, so mm-hmm. there are about 20 or so of those that have those scheduled, and that maintenance still needs to happen. 
Um, but at every other school, it will be at their home school. So then you're dealing with the majority of your, you know, your home teachers, uh, students that you know that are already in your classes. Um, at, you know, as you said, uh, transportation, and if, if you have to go to the next school over because your school's having repairs, you'll, you'll there'll be transportation. Yes, they'll be online if you're still doing distance, and that's what's uh, which your which your family has chosen. That's great. Again, you know, breakfast and lunch. And here's something that's great with the the social emotional piece will be it's the connection piece. It's the getting back reengaged piece. It's like I say, this the the baby step for being back on campus and being back with your with your students and getting back. You know, it's students are, you know, they 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 know what they when if you've been in school, you know what school's like. This is what school is. And you you know, you get some some self management in that, right? You get you get work on decision making and, and some sense of community and this is how I fit into this community. All that's the social social emotional piece of it um mm-hmm. and if you haven't been in school for a year it's easy to lose that if i'm at home by myself right yeah. versus i coexist yeah. with other people and i make decisions together and where we do these you hear me this team stuff and working on your week those are all parts of the social emotional piece and just knowing that you're back in what's quote unquote normal right for you um additionally there are business people uh and silver from the chamber has been great at lining up. I want to say over 30, 35 uh, business leaders have said that they want to be a part of it. We've reached out to them because we want there to be more activities and come in. There's some career pieces of it. So different kinds of stuff that we've never had before in uh, in summer school so that it isn't just you're going to just sit there and be in regular quote-unquote school. But it's the summertime, right. and so you should have yeah. some fun. As, I mean, this, this makes me want to go to summer school, Sherry. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. I just um... – I just taped a podcast that'll probably air next week on uh, mm-hmm. getting back to normal and what and how we have to relearn our own social emotional skills. I mean, we mm-hmm. we how to talk to people again, how to be in in a group setting. So I can imagine the same thing would apply to children. Of course, it would. Oh sure, and 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 because children, but, you know, we've been doing it for years and years. I mean, you know, we're forty years old, so not that many years. Right. Um, mm-hmm. they've done it for a few years, especially those who've just gotten into school. And maybe those students that didn't go to, to kindergarten, but now maybe they get in for some summer school that helps them because that's when you first learn what school even is, right? So it gives yeah. them that opportunity as well. So I'm I'm really excited about this kind of being oh, a baby step great. to get people back well, in place. I hope people take advantage of it. Oh, I do too. I uh, Let's talk a little bit about graduation this year. This will be the the sort of second COVID graduation experience for kids. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be mm-hmm. different than last year? Will, they, will there be a graduation for our seniors? Yeah, there will be. It will, there will be. It will be different. It won't be, quote, all the way back, so to speak, to when we rent out Lawler for a week and a half and mm-hmm. do five graduations a day and so on. It, they will still be on site, right? And, and what we found out last year is uh, seniors, their families, teachers, they kind of liked graduation at their high school. Right, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. and uh, so they'll be able to do that again. Um, but as the as the medic, as the um, requirements change, right, in terms of social distancing and so on, then what kind of the graduation ceremony they have, they they can't have, will change. Each high school is uh, planning their own, and we asked them about a month ago. Um, but we just asked the superintendent to put this in place, and then you know they do the day, they do the day to day for schools to submit their plans. They can do whatever they want to do, but we wanted them to involve uh, the students and the families in the planning, and then also to give give a plan A, plan B, and plan C. 
plan A based upon the rules we have in place now, this is what graduation will be like. So that was probably more like a drive-through graduation like last year. Plan mm-hmm. B, what if there is no social distancing? Or what if social distancing changed from three from six feet to three feet or whatever, right? So the turn give us three different plans so that as as uh, requirements change from uh, from the directors from the governor's office change, you can do more. And so, um, again, I think it's really exciting because schools will be able to do more. They won't have, especially now there's no social distancing as of June 1st, right? Right. Yeah. So it will be, I would imagine that schools are going to do the come walk across the stage, shake your principal's hand, take your picture, Uh, you know. Yeah. yeah. Much much more. Yeah. Yeah. But but, but now on your football field, in most cases, on your football field. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, very uh, cool. Really nice to hear. Let's um, let's switch gears a bit and talk about curriculum, if you don't mind, Dr. Taylor. Mm-hmm. My understanding is there's a new social justice curriculum for uh, K through five grades that you're asking for parent feedback. Before we get into that, yeah, can I off. ask you, is there a social justice curriculum for all grades? Well, this this what is there is not a social justice curriculum. Let me make this clear. What it is these these are a company called Benchmark. Benchmark does our uh, does our curriculum um, for social studies that 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 meet our social studies standards. Right? We have state standards in every area, um, obviously. Benchmark is the one who does that so that uh, creates that curriculum for us. Um, through it's time for the state, right? For for a redo, if you will. For uh, uh, for uh, uh, curriculum and, up, and not not a redo, an upgrade of curriculum uh, um, for K through five. The state standards haven't changed, but we're upgrading that from from grades K through five that comes in pieces, right? That's the elementary school, and that's just where the start is, right? And so what we've asked Benchmark to do is to um, is to make available to us uh, some supplemental materials they have for social curriculum that we have. So it isn't a new curriculum. It's an addendum to it's 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 um yeah it's just uh, yeah, an addendum to the curriculum that we have. And because it's really important that the curriculum still meet the social studies standards that we have for uh for the state. That makes sense. I see. And it does yeah, start with K through five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the word social justice has so much meaning to it though. So when we say social studies, of course, um, you know, I'm I'm over 70 years old, so social studies was a little different when I was in school and when my children yeah. were in school. But the word social justice has so much meaning today. Is How it, does that component go into the social studies curriculum? Really good question. See, when you think about social, you're right, there's so much packed into social justice, right? And this is going to go back to, um, I'm really glad you introduced um, our podcast today, as you did with What's the what's what's the real information? What's the truth, right? Versus what's the misinformation? And I do think that there is a deliberate effort to put misinformation around this uh, around these addendums, intentional and mm-hmm. deliberate. For an example, people are choosing saying this is a, a critical race theory. Um, it isn't critical race theory, right? It isn't mm-hmm. because that's a, that, that there is a, crit, a critical race theory. Um, 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 curriculum, and there's a movement that actually started back, I think, well, I want to say in the 60s, but this was not this, and, and it can be controversial in some cases, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so this, this 
was not derived from, it wasn't made a part of, it wasn't, it didn't come out of critical race theory, but because critical race theory or CRT has been controversial. In fact, I think it was something that was really pointed out, quite frankly, if I can, if I can say, um, uh, the Trump administration really talked about it, at least President Trump himself mentioned it at some mm-hmm. point that he he was not a supporter of critical race theory. And I think that's kind of really put everything just kind of bent in one particular direction. So there's a big, mm-hmm. oh, this is critical race theory and this is divisive and you're teaching our kids that they're racist. And none of that is true. Mm-hmm. None. I want to say that again. None of that is true. When you talk about social justice from an educational standpoint, right, simply put, it just turns to a commitment and education to uh, to challenging uh, social, cultural, and economic inequities. Mm-hmm. It's just like, hey, let's talk about the curriculum that challenges. We, if nothing else, this country had to acknowledge last summer, one of the things that came out of this pandemic is that there was more of an awakening, if you will, Right, just more of an acknowledgement, if you will, in this country of you know what, there's some inequities out there. We haven't paid enough attention to it, and and mm-hmm. it looked like a lot of ways. And what happened with George Floyd really brought that to the surface, right? Brought that to the forefront. Right. And that's what this this is taught. It's, it's it's really it's challenging. That what are some of those inequities? Some of those things that are not justice. Some of the things that that are that are not. Or some of those things that that don't that that put down some groups and lift up other groups. Wouldn't it be better right. if we just lifted up all groups? That's really what this is. It's lifting up everybody. That's all that this is. Taking, getting, getting to students at where they are, and lifting them up so that we're all lifting, we're all being lifted up together. This is not a bad thing. No, it's not. And and are there issues of bias and stereotypes that are discussed in the curriculum? Because you know, children run into stereotypes and bias from the time they're in kindergarten. You know, it 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 it, it really is. I think what it does, it challenges, Sherry. It challenges uh, things that that when you look at the differentiation of uh, of power, of resources, of, of of things like privilege. And I know people have a hard time thinking of privilege. Privilege is not a race in and of itself. Well, if I'm white and I'm poor, I couldn't have had privilege. Um, but if you dig into it and really understand is, then actually there 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 are people that are privileged. Absolutely, because right. that's the country that we live in. I, I like what the vice president said the other day. Is America a racist country so, as, as a whole? I, I like what she said. I love how she answered the question. No, I'm not going to say that as a whole, but do we still have racism? Is there racism still in this country? Sure. Do we still have things of racism that we need to deal with? Yes. We have a lot of work to do. But I'm not willing to call everybody in the country racist. Of course not. Right. Not at all. Right. Not at all. But we have work to do. But, you know, I think that people get confused between thinking that someone's calling them a racist or the acknowledgement that many of our institutions have been racially biased. And we grew right. up in those institutions. Mm-hmm. We, we grew All up and we grew up. No, you're right. You're right about that. It's about it's about institutional racism. It's like things such yeah. as. As, as African Americans, we're 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 thirteen. Let me look at this from from an education standpoint, right? We're about sixteen percent, I think, as as nation, right? Of um of African Americans are um students, right? K twelve students in our country. But you know what? We're probably something like um um more than a third 
of the uh, when you have students with uh, with disabilities who are actually uh, restrained at school. A third one. We're about sixteen percent. That doesn't even make sense, right? We're um, right. more than three times more likely to be expelled from from school than than a, than a white student for the same infraction. That's the thing that's key. For the same infraction, we're three times more likely to be expelled. We are almost 30% more likely to be referred to law enforcement. I mean, when you think about numbers like this, right, for the same thing, for the same thing, that's institutional. Right. You can connect that dot all the way to uh, what's happening in our justice system and to George Floyd and to Derek Chauvin. I mean, those those dots can be totally connected. Um, Absolutely. It's called what the school prison pipeline. Exactly. It's the school prison pipeline. You start putting kids yeah. involved with the, with the criminal justice system at an early age when they're, when they're three times more likely to be referred to law enforcement than a white student for the same infraction. You get them introduced into the criminal justice system really early, and that can change your life. Yep. Right? Well, let me ask you, know, you Dr. Taylor, in, in the school district, things like um, the Derek Chauvin trial and what the murder of George Floyd, is that discussed in the classroom? Where's the outlet for um, the children or the youth, I would say, especially in high school, to have a very um, factual or open discussion on what occurred there with Derek Chauvin and, and Mr. Floyd. You know, it's really interesting because, as you recall, when, when, the, when the incident first happened, it was in the summertime, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so school wasn't in, and the um, and the district did release some, some resources for parents, you know, to help talk to their children about it. Um, when it comes down to uh, to whether it's the social justice, um, the addendums. Right to the curriculum, or even um, which which hasn't hasn't even been uh, adopted yet. They'll they'll present it uh, to the board on May 25th. Is really in classes, in classrooms, teachers have the flexibility, right, and the ability to talk about events as as they should. Mm -hmm. And what we ask of them is, right, you do it in a way that's instructive, right? Not not, not in a way that I think this is right, I think that is right, even though you may very well feel very strongly about it, right? Mm -hmm. You you do it in a way that's instructive so that students can understand and learn how to have discussions, hear various sides of it, and come to conclusions, right? Now, there's a certain conclusion because he was found guilty, so then you can go go a certain direction in that way, right? Well, this is what the law says. but yeah, and I think that's that's I'm glad you mentioned that because a critical part of these addendums, the social justice addendums, um, has to do with helping teachers learn how to appropriately deal with this. Because there has to be some training. If you're a teacher and you aren't accustomed to dealing with any issues of social justice, right, uh, um, cultural economic inequalities, and you've just never done that before, but you're a social studies teacher, right? Because this is just something that's evolving, and you need to know how to, you need to learn how to do it. We can't leave you out there by yourself, right? And that's a part of well, that's a part and, of the materials as well. Yeah, and how to do it objectively, and to be able to. Exactly. Um, screen your own biases because we all have them. Mm-hmm. 
That's so key. I'm so glad you said that. People also think that when you say, hey, biases get in the way, and they in, they impact some of the, as I was talking about, some of the stats, the 30% stats and the 36% here. I mean, those are stats that I know because it's so, it's not just us, it's national trends, which is why we're looking at at those things. It's it's. Just because you're biased doesn't mean you're racist. It doesn't mean you're sexist. It doesn't mean you're homophobic. It means that you're human, and that's what we have to get to. And I believe that part of why a misinformation campaign around this whole thing could happen is because people begin to think someone's saying that, uh, that I'm, I'm good, you're bad, or you're, you know, you're bad, I'm good. It's, that's, that's not it at all. It's, hey, we all have our biases that we have to check, and they whether we realize it or not, whether we want to or not, they impact how we do what we do every day. Okay. Um, so you mentioned a few minutes ago, Dr. Taylor, about misinformation, and you mentioned uh-huh. about um, how misinformation can uh, get in the way of us and being able to see things constructively. Let's talk about social media and the impact that's had on our kids, especially our kids in high school, because they operate under a social media uh, sort of cloud and talk mm-hmm. about misinformation. How do you deal with that at the school district? It's really difficult. I mean, the, the our communications team, um, they, they work against it, they fight against it as much as they can because just misinformation can put something on, on track and really kill something before it begins um, or it can divert um, or uh, uh, reflect that uh, not that reflect um just kind of divert something right and, and if you have an opportunity to make a difference or to have an impact because people just believe a certain way I, I think a lot of misinformation has happened around um the social justice um addendums because i think people are afraid of the phrase social justice mm-hmm. they're afraid they, mm-hmm. they think that means kill the police right and that's yeah. not what that means it has nothing to do with that especially in right. an educational context Mm-hmm. At, at all, but people see all this, and if you have an, and if you have enough twisting, if you you have enough twisting of it, then people believe what they see, and right. especially, especially as you said, especially more prevalent now with with our high school generation. I'm going to call them generation generation Z because I think that's what they're called now because they live on that. I mean, there mm-hmm. there are times when people have had when you know when there's been when school shootings have not been a baking in the news of late because there's so much other stuff going on. But the last the last one that we had in Florida, there were uh, there were several across the country that just started something just started on social media. Oh, there's gonna be a shooting. Well, I mean, there was mm-hmm. one here. We actually closed the school, and it turned out it was a posting across the country. Wow. Somebody picked it up and like posted it. The next thing you know, went all the way around social media. I mean, I have friends calling me at home. Should I send my kids to school? I'm not sure. This is what it says. Oh my goodness, is it safe? And I'm, I'm a parent, you know, right? And that's my kid. I all from social media. Isn't that something? I mean, I didn't grow up in the era of social media, or my children really didn't either. They were on the fringe of it. But I can't even imagine, Dr. Taylor, how challenging that must be uh, for teachers when there is so much misinformation on social media. And then especially when you're talking about social justice and coming into a curriculum and a classroom to teach that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, it's, and I think a lot of it and on something like that, well, if, if, you know, not as, um, the school shootings, I understand it is fear because, you know, it's your life is safety. I get that. But when you talk mm-hmm. about things like this in terms of social justice, 
and and talked about things that um um what I would love to see is some positive pieces of this, right? It talks about community and our community responsibility and encouraging students to speak out against injustice and against biases and it encourages students to to uh, to support people um, that even may not be like them. I mean, those are the – now, I would love for that stuff to go around on um, mm-hmm. on, on, on social media. And, and instead, you have the things that really – people use it to, um, to pull. They use it, and I think in this case, I think it comes from fear. And the fear comes from people not under. I'm going to call it what it is. It comes from ignorance. It's yeah. people not knowing, not knowing. I get, I get, I, I, we get all the, all the, all we get a lot of emails to the board, right? And we actually respond to our emails. And when I say we, right now I'm president, so that means I respond to our emails. Emails I'm getting are saying, I can't believe you guys are doing critical race theory. We aren't doing critical race theory. Isn't that something? We, we aren't doing it. It's like, how, you know how much of my time I'm spending saying we're not doing the yeah. race series? Yeah, combating the mm-hmm. misinformation. Do you, exactly. and, um, and will they believe you that you're not? Well, I, it, it all depends. It all depends. Yeah. Part of what happens, I've learned this. I've gone to speak at various groups before. And I will speak at groups that, um, as long as they're respectful, you can ask questions. I don't mind. I'll go so you can ask questions. Don't mind at all as long as you're respectful, right, as long as I don't feel like you know, my life is in jeopardy or something crazy, and I never have. But as long as people are respectful, that's okay. Um, and I've actually gone and, and answered questions, really just really direct, straight questions. And and I've had people leave in one respect, say, hey, I just I respected Dr. Taylor for coming and answering the questions, right? I didn't agree with some of it, which is okay. Right, uh-huh. but I respect that she came and said, and I, and I say, look, I always tell people, you can ask me whatever you want to. Let's just be respectful of each other. Um, and then, the, and then the same from the same group, someone else said, ah, that was just uh, propaganda. But yeah. I told you the truth. Yeah, there's no propaganda, and we're not doing, you know, critical race theory. That's not propaganda. That's yeah, what we are teaching, right? So you yeah. know, I think it is, you know, if we can get ourselves to really be open. Because I think sometimes people are, are people wonder they're people people build upon each other's fears, and they're mm-hmm. so afraid, and then they build upon those fears and build upon those fears and build upon those fears that the only thing that will be acceptable is if you just give in and just say no, this isn't going to happen, or no, I don't believe in this or uh, diversity or critical race theory or whatever. Let's just be, the only anything less than that is propaganda or truthful or you're speaking in circles or whatever you know and it's unfortunate that we've gotten here it really is yeah well and and i can't even begin to imagine how challenging it is when we do understand that you can't please everybody all the time you can't yeah no you can't and and I, I've, I've had to as much as I can, I mean, I don't like it when people, of course, uh, because I'm human, I don't like it when people say, ah, oh, you're lying. Well, but mm-hmm. I, I have I have some, you can watch the video of the meeting yeah. and see that that happened. I'm not just like, you can, you really, you really can. Um, yeah. Because, you know, yeah. I'm human and I, I don't like that. It doesn't feel good. Um, but, you know, but you, you just get to the point where I'm going to do work as hard as I can and do as best as I can. Um, yeah. for the students yeah. and the and the educators that count on me to do that. Um, and I just have to know that no matter what, I'm just not going to get some people. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's true. It's hard. It's, it's no matter it's what. True. Some people just yes. not gonna get it. A tough lesson to learn. Let's talk about the next school year, um, Dr. Taylor. It begins in August. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm hoping, I'm sure you are too, that the next school year is going to be very different from the last school year and the school year before. I'm. Um, you have some confidence. I think we all do that it will look a little differently. That kids will be able to come back full time. What I'm, I am hoping that we can come back full time. Um, um, all students, and there will still be some families that may choose right distance learning um, just to be safe, and we certainly respect that. And that option will be available to them. It will all be at one location now um, instead of every school running a distance learning school um, and, in, and in some cases and a hybrid school. You know, each school ran three schools. That's tough. Um, mm-hmm. so it would all be through North Star. Um, but what I, what I am hoping is that we have um, – um, full-time, everyday school for all students. Um, I'm hoping we can do it without masks. I don't know what it will look like. Um, now that there are more, more vaccines being available, uh, becoming available and, and even maybe going down to the age of 12, I think the Pfizer um, may soon be in that category. Um, then as you get, you know, as you get to go a little bit younger and a little bit younger, that might create that opportunity. Um, that's, what, that's, what, that's what I'm hoping. Um, if we remember last year in the summertime, were actually kind of decent, and then they stayed that way through most of uh, most of the first month or so. It, you know, things jumped again. Rather, from a school standpoint, uh, numbers jumped again um, at Halloween at Nevada Day. Mm-hmm. That's when numbers jumped again. Um, that's when they got bad. Um, I remember that because I was on the campaign trail, um, talking yeah. to people and and having conversations and people saying, "I'm so mad at you because you guys went, you guys." open schools, but then now we're six weeks in, and I thank you so much because it's turning out okay and, you know, all, all of that. Um, I, I think there will still be some cases because there's still, you know, people that are unvaccinated and so on, but you just want, don't want there to be spread um, or, you know, anything like that, but, you know, spread at schools and so on. You don't want any outbreaks or whatever. Um, right. But, yeah, that's what I'm hoping, and I'm hoping we can start that way and then we can maintain it and not have a jump you know, for November and December, like we did last, uh, yeah, like we did last year. I'm hoping. Yeah. Do you anticipate as as the vaccine becomes more available, especially for children, that the school district would do vaccination clinics? We've done some. We've oh, done have them. you? We've I done didn't. Yeah, not for students, for teachers. We had we had, we set up our own pods, especially when the uh, when the vaccine first came out. Um, we really we were very appreciative to the county. Um, uh, my superintendent went to the county and said, "We need you. We want to keep schools open. We need your help. We've got to. We, we've got. We can't wait until the you know, you know remember because there was a big list, right? Remember when it first came out because it was really hard to get. Um, and then and then they kind of redid and looked at the prior prioritization um, a little bit differently. And um, yeah, we had pods at schools um, for educators. Oh, that's great. So let's mm-hmm. before we go, Dr. Taylor, on the social justice curriculum." Um, what is the deadline for parents to give their feedback on that? And where would they, would they go online at the school district to be able to see the current curriculum? Mm-hmm. Two things. One, the deadline is midnight tonight, so it probably won't make Oh, midnight tonight. Um, oh, goodness. It's midnight tonight. But they can go to uh, dot net and see the curriculum. People can go on our website and see all of our curriculum. They don't know that, but they can. Oh, good. Um, I'm glad you're 
That's great. Yeah, people don't know that, but it is there. You can go and see the curriculum. Um, and then this this um, is there for review. This has not – now, people have to understand, as a school board, okay, part, part of the curriculum itself, um, um, that's day-to-day. We don't do the day-to-day. We do textbooks mm-hmm. and so on. We don't do the day-to-day. But we did ask that the staff will come back to once this curriculum, we knew this curriculum was coming, because this is actually a part of an anti-racism action plan. Uh, the anti-racism resolution, which passed unanimously in October last year, October 27th, I believe it was. And it's just saying it's not enough for us to say, hey, we want to be fair, but we want to be intentional about not being racist as a school district. It was a huge statement. Um, so we, we passed that statement in October last year. And then one of the things that we said was, this is a great statement, but we need it to be more than a statement. What are right. the actions that come along with this? And then that's so they came back to us um, I want to say in February, to give us here's an action plan that goes along with that. Part of the action plan was, was uh, these addendums was to, be, to begin to talk about uh, social justice and, and what it looks like in an educational setting. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it's age-specific, and so it's really important as people see the curriculum, start with kindergarten and work your way up because it builds upon each other. If you just jump in at fifth grade, you're going to say, how, how my kid can't talk about this. They haven't had the foundation. They haven't built up. Right, so just mm-hmm. little things. Again, it's age appropriate. It's just like sex education, which is mandated by the state, by the way. Right, age appropriate. Right, you just kind of build upon it. it, it it's that because you're having, you know, co- you're having conversations about. You, you can't expect a teenager, I mean, a, a, a kindergarten to know how to deal with if they're in a situation where they see something unjust. They wouldn't know how to deal with that in the way that a high schooler would. Right, so it's right. built upon. That's where this came from. This came from the action plan. Um, um, to support the anti-racism resolution, which also included things like having more multicultural books in libraries, you know, black, brown, poor people, uh, indigenous people, uh, LGBTQIA people, you know, so people can see them in other books and other curriculum and having book clubs for teachers so teachers can learn if they want to learn and they know, right, and where they are. So they have to get more comfortable talking about this is uncomfortable stuff. Yeah. I'm wondering, um, Dr. Taylor, whether we could do another podcast when you have time on this um, anti-racism resolution action plan. It sounds like Mm -hmm. there's a lot more to talk about um, that we probably could delve into. What do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We we passed. I mean, we accepted the action plan. That we did Mm -hmm. vote on. We accepted, and it was unanimous. The only right. thing that was, uh, hey, come back to us on, it was this piece, and I think it was the social justice terminology that mm-hmm. got people's attention. It's like, let's jump into this a little bit more, because if you don't understand what it is, it's scary. Right. Hmm. right? And, and we know that. But I also know where we live. I know the community. I've been here for most of my life. I know mm-hmm. the community. And I know yeah. I know the community would be uh, so it's okay to want to jump to a wishy What does that mean? That's why we say, hey, we're going to put this on the website. We never do, yeah. don't do this. We do this for yeah. textbooks. Not for kids. Yeah. We don't do this. But we're going to put it on the website for feedback. And the feedback <laughs> we want is be specific about it. Yeah. Right? Be, 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 don't just, we don't want, no, no. Take a look at it. And let's see. Yeah. And then let's, let's let staff respond. It, it will be presented. I will tell you this. It will be presented May 25th. At the school board okay. meeting on May 25th, and so certainly we want to encourage everyone listening to the podcast to tune in and to be on YouTube. We started meetings at 2 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and you can connect to it from the district's website at washoeschools.net. Watch the presentation. It should answer a lot of questions and mm-hmm. um, see what this thing will see what it will look like. I haven't seen it yet either. I do that on purpose, right? Mm-hmm. I know as much as I know about it because people have been emailing questions. I get them from staff and I send them in, so I've learned more. But I won't look at it until right before the meeting um, because I'm, I don't want to sway my own thing. Let me see what it is. Yeah, yeah. Well, Dr. Mm-hmm. Taylor, it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you today. I'm um, I'm just so happy that we delved into some of the subjects that we talked about. It's so vitally important, and and I just want to say thank you for for all that you have done for Washoe County School District. I know that being on the board of trustees is not easy. It's time consuming, and your commitment to it, I think, is um, absolutely remarkable. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Well, Sherry, I I appreciate your kind words. I do. It really is. It is a privilege to serve. It's an honor to serve. And it's a big responsibility. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It it is. But um, but it's it's an honor to serve. Education is so, so vitally important. I just want to help us get it right. It's everything. Well, thank you, ma'am. And I will, if you don't mind, we'll um, talk again soon, hopefully on the Anti-Racism Resolution Action Plan, and we'll tune mm-hmm. in on May 25th at 2 p.m. to the board meeting uh, where we, you will talk about the social justice curriculum. Yes, yes, we will. We absolutely will. And, and I will say, if, you're, if you're, your listeners, even though the feedback here will be over, they can still make public comment. Just email publiccomments at washoeschools.net, publiccomments at washoeschools.net, and they can send in public comments um, all the way up until the end of the meeting. They can do that. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. We've been talking to Dr. Angie Taylor, president of the Washer County School District Board of Trustees. I want to thank you all for listening to this important conversation. Wear your mask and please consider getting the vaccine.